0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the Book of Genesis. All right, well, it is good again to be with all of you here this evening. Thank you for joining us. We will continue our study tonight in the book of Genesis. You can open up to Genesis chapter 26 if you have your Bibles. Genesis 26. Uh, quick update for you regarding uh, one of the Calvary chapels up in Bangor, Maine, Pastor Ken Graves. Um, Throughout this time of of COVID, um, as you guys well know, there's been a lot of different uh, issues that have arisen related to church closures and Churches that have remained closed and churches that were told they needed to be closed or not hold certain services, and they, they didn't, they opened up, and they've defied governor's orders, and um, I believe that every one of the Supreme Court cases uh, that has been either heard or is being heard right now involves a Calvary Chapel, if that tells you anything about Calvary Chapel. Um I I I don't think that's a stretch. I think I think in fact every Supreme Court case related to a church this year in closures and COVID and everything um absolutely has a Calvary Chapel uh involved in that suit and um the Supreme Court has just decided to take up the case for Bangor Maine um, and this will happen next week on the 13th um that they will hear uh, they will hear that case and uh, the various um fines and everything that have been levied against Calvary, Bangor, Maine for uh, continuing to operate and have their various services. And um, and so anyhow, I mentioned that just to say you can get an update on that. If you go to our website and you go to um, the news feed from Calvary magazine, um, you can see uh, updates on that. There's a video there from Pastor Ken that was posted today, or you can go directly to Calvary Chapel magazine. um or their YouTube site to see some of that. But the reason I mention it is not only so that we're just aware that these things are going on, and I think it is important that fellowships, uh, that Calvary Chapel fellowships throughout the country understand that in fact Calvary's are standing for truth. Um, we We're not particularly special, it's not to suggest we're better than another church, but I do think it's important to understand that Calvary chapels are saying, yeah, in these various places, hey, we're going to take a stand. Um, We know what this means. We know what's at stake when we uh, sort of succumb to some of these different orders uh, and what that could mean in time, uh, in the various ways in which state governments could come in and say, well, now you need to close up for this, and now you need to close up for this, and uh, it, it, it becomes a very slippery slope. So I do think it's important to know that, but Pastor Ken has also uh, made a plea to um, to the Calvary Association as a whole to say, please commit to prayer, and if willing, prayer and fasting for the next week. So that began today uh, through next Wednesday. Um, so if you would be in prayer for them, and really for all of us, quite frankly, because again, when it's the Supreme Court, this has then um, national um, it creates a precedent, right? Depending on what they decide, it does, it's not just specific to uh, Maine. And so, be in prayer, and if and if so, willing prayer and fasting as well uh, for them. And uh, so, yeah, wanted you guys to to be aware of that. Okay, uh, Genesis twenty-six. So, uh, making our way through uh, Genesis here, and and we've really come in this chapter now to uh, to. I suppose you could say the one chapter that really involves the life of Isaac, right? Uh, Isaac, he, there, there's a decent amount of narrative related to Isaac, but it typically is within the context of other lives. Uh, so not that there's not information that we have in Scripture about Isaac, but it tends to be, uh, you know, whether it's Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, or whether it's uh, uh, Jacob and Esau within the context of, of Isaac. Um, and so there's not much dedicated in Scripture to just, here's the life of, of Isaac to the degree that we had with Abraham, for example. Until we come to chapter 26, this is really a chapter that kind of focuses in specifically on, on him and his life. And this is taking the place really in, I guess you could say, the early part to middle part of his life. Isaac is going to live to be 180 years old. Uh, And here in this chapter, in chapter 26, we don't know for sure, but it's probably taking up the span of his life from somewhere in that 40-year-old to to 80, maybe upwards of 100 years old in this uh, particular time. There's a good bit of time that's likely going to pass as we go through the chapter from the time when specifically he arrives in uh, Gerar, uh, to when he leaves or when he departs that area. Scripture will even say it was a long time, but it doesn't tell us exactly how long. And so this is really one of those chapters where we get to just really kind of consider much of the life of, of Isaac. And what you're going to see in this chapter here, if you're not familiar with it, uh, is, is very much a parallel to his own father, including some of the failures of his father, almost, almost identical. Almost identical failures, really, um, and that will become clear as we we make our way through this. And as I and as I studied this chapter and as I made my way through it, just read it several times. You know, there's certain chapters where you read it and you read it, and there's a lot of different things you could focus in on or you, that you could emphasize. And and then too, you you see. Isaac's sin in this chapter, and and I'll be honest with you, I can't help but but see some of the foolishness and 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 really struggle with, with why. Like this is this is dumb, right? Like why does he do this? And then of course you know the Lord is is, is gracious and kind of reminds you of your own foolishness, certainly. And you okay, you know I I, I get it. I make the same mistakes. I do stupid things um, sometimes, multiple times, right? Um, but just kind of looking at his life and 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 going lord what what is this what you know is this just narrative is it just here's the life of Isaac what what is it lord that you want us to see in this and and i think tonight uh, for me and, and and maybe it's 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 to some degree what the lord is doing and even in my own life it, you know oftentimes that's the case for a pastor especially as you're teaching through the bible and you're teaching verse by verse and you know, the lord deals with you He deals with your heart first right you it, the Lord uh, works some of these things in, and then you can't help, but then you got. You, certainly you got to try and at times kind of discern, Lord, was that for me? Was that just me, Lord, or is this for the, is this for the body? Um, but I think as we look at this chapter here, and hopefully you'll agree tonight, what I, what I think we see here truly, in some respects in the parallel to Abraham, but, but even more so, I think this aspect of it goes a little bit deeper. As we look at the life of Isaac here, we do see some times of testing. In fact, we see several times of testing that seem to come, at least as we read through it, they kind of come right in a row, but we know there's, there's more time that, that passed in between them. But we see here Isaac dealing with some conflict. We see him dealing with trials. And the really cool thing that I think we see in this chapter is we see God's hand upon him, sanctifying him, teaching him, setting him apart, doing a work in his life to where he, like his father, is saying, I'm, I'm making you into the man that I created you to be. And I think for us tonight, guys, I want for us as we look at this chapter to really be willing to be honest and, and reflective of our own trials that we face in, in, in our own lives, and to be willing also to then look at those trials through the lens of or, or with the backdrop of a sovereign God who cares about us and who is invested, not because of our faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness, in bringing about change in us, ensuring that we don't remain the same people, but continually molding us and shaping us and making us more into the individuals that he has created us to be. What we see in this chapter, I do believe, is a process of sanctification. That's if, if I were to title the message tonight, that's, Dee asked me as she was doing the upload for the live stream, so what's the title tonight? And oftentimes I don't even think about it. I sit back and I go, well, what is the title for tonight? And that would have to be what it is, a sanctification. Now I would ask you the question, what is sanctification? What is it? Your walk with the Lord, okay? And, and, and in that walk, in the process of sanctification, what is it that's happening? Becoming Christ-like? What else did I hear? Setting apart. Okay, absolutely. He's being you're being made holy, right? You're being made holy. Um, you know, we'll get we we've touched on this verse quite a bit actually in over the last several weeks and we'll get there again now in our study of Romans. Um it's one that just you know, sometimes certain verses, right, they just get they just get in there for a while. Uh Romans eight, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and thirty Again, 28, as we've considered recently, is is a is a is a verse that we we love. This verse, why wouldn't we? This is we we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Amen to that, right? I mean, we love to have that encouragement, certainly, and, and we and we should. All things. Working together for good, for those who love God. God, if, if I love you, if, if I'm surrendered to you, if I'm living my life for you, I can be confident, Lord, that you're, you're taking all of these things in my life, all of them, not just the good things, uh, but the bad things too. And you're taking those things and you're working them together for good. That's an encouraging promise for us. But it doesn't stop there. Paul writes in verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's saying here, he's doing this, he's working this, so that you would be conformed to the image of his son, so that you'd be made more like Jesus. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. He's saying, look, this is the, the process, of what God is doing in your life. This is incredible. And then from there, it makes sense that Paul would then go on to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How incredible is that, right? To think about, you you have a Father in heaven. He is your Father. He cares about you. You have a Creator God who is your Father, who is actively working in your life, setting you apart, making you holy, making making you more like Him, making you more like Jesus. That's amazing, guys. And that is, that's the process of sanctification, right? So I need three helpers. This is different. I know we don't usually do this. I need three of you to come up here, okay? Nathan, come on. Greg, come on. There he goes. Okay. You may have seen this before, okay? This isn't original to me, but I see it taught this way quite a bit, all right? Nathan, you're our actor here. You don't need to act this out, okay? But I'm just gonna, I'm just, because... Because you're in the, the theater, you can get your mind wrapped around this more, so I'm gonna have you come right over here, okay. I want you to stand at the end of that table, okay? You're not gonna like this when I tell you who you are, but just all right, David, you're Jesus, <laughs> stand right there, okay, <laughs> as has often been said, this is your greatest moment right now, right? <laughs> okay, you're right there i'm not I'm actually gonna n- not gonna name it who 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 in history- who do we think of in history who we think? Quite possibly the worst person we could, pos- we could even think of. Judas? Well, you got, wow, you guys went, a lot, a lot of people typically go Hitler. You guys went oh. Judas. Okay, okay. We're, so we're going to say Judas then. Okay, that's fine. We'll go with that. You're Judas, okay? Now, give me somebody who, they're not Jesus, okay? They, they are sinful man, but it's like, out of anybody I can think of, they're pretty darn close to Jesus. Who? Peter, Okay. Peter? Anybody else? Everybody good with Peter? Paul? How many do I hear for Paul? How about Peter? <laughs> Way to own it, Bethany. That's good. I, Peter's pretty awesome. Okay, we'll go with Paul. All right? So Greg, here's Paul. This right here, the distance between Judas and Jesus is the continuum of sanctification. This is Paul. And we've said Paul, out of everybody who's really walked the earth other than Jesus... Paul's the guy who's like, man, he's got to be pretty close. Like, look at his life. Kind of wrote a lot of the Bible, right? Where is he at on the continuum of sanctification? You think he's down? It's like Price is Right. Mm -hmm. Cheers, cheers, cheers. We've said he's almost like Jesus. So does he belong right over there? Right, don't touch. Probably right about there. Super scientific, I know, right? Think about that. In the process of sanctification, what we need to understand, when, when we are, Jesus came, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but because of his love for us, his desire to reconcile us to a right relationship with God the Father, knowing that we, we could not do it, but also so that we would bring glory unto him. So he came he lives a life that we couldn't live. He dies the death that we wouldn't die, pays the price to accomplish that work, and begins the process then. As, as people surrender their life to him, begins that process of sanctification, beginning to change us. Right? And what we sometimes, I think, don't really grasp. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we're in that place where we're like, yes, Lord, I get it right now. And other times maybe we think we're, we're tracking a little bit further along. And this isn't intended to be discouraging. okay? But the fact of the matter is where we fall on that process of sanctification is we're just, we're just a, a, a mere margins beyond that place of just complete depravity. There is still such, such a, a canyon in my mind still from my recent trip that exists between where we are today and and then and then what is this so don't just think of it about don't just think of it guys in terms of of oh man i'm just still down here no what is it because here's the thing you are not here but you will be <laughs> you will be it's not about you having to work harder and it's not about you going, oh, shame on me, I'm down. No, it's like, here's so much more. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because he says you will be glorified. He says, I'm in the process of making you like me. And so to think about where we're at right now, yet where we will be, guys, it blows my mind. But here's the problem. I think if we're honest, if I, I'll just speak for me, I'm not willing oftentimes to surrender myself to what that process looks like. I just want to get there. Now I can say it in my head, yes, I got you. I know what this looks like. I, okay, working all things again. But in my heart, because when those things begin to come in, when he is working all things, if I'm truly honest, Lord, not those things. Not those things. I'm not surrendered to that. I want just this. If we could just have this process, Lord, get me there, I'd be much more comfortable with that, right? You guys can sit down. Thank you for playing along. So then, because because look at this. Paul, right elsewhere, to to the church in Corinth, he says, he says, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Now of course he's, he's addressing the sexual immorality in Corinth, okay? So, so he says, your body do you know what this is? And, and, and that's less of the emphasis for us in this moment here, but rather what he then says, he says, you're not your own. You're not your own. He says, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are yours? No. What does he say? Which are God's. Guys, I know I talk about this a lot and have talked about this a lot lately. And so some of you may be like, yeah, amen, okay. And, and maybe, maybe you're thinking like, man, we're really harping on this. But I I don't think we're going to get anywhere unless we understand I am not my own. I'm not. and And so much of our life is kind of spent pretending like, I'm, this is mine. This life is mine. I get to live it how I want to live it, and I'm going to do the things that I want to do, and I'm going to make the decisions that I want to make, and I'm not going to really surrender those to the Lord. He says, you're bought at a price. What was that price? It was the life of the Son of God. He says elsewhere in the his second letter to Corinth, and in chapter 5, in verse 15, he says, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Our life is to be lived for him. Now, rest assured, if you know him, if you have truly given your life to Christ, then he will begin to work this process out in your life. He is going to do that work. So then, it's up to us, it's kind of incumbent upon us to then go, am I willing then to look at what's happening in my life and, and go, okay, Lord, I submit to it. What you have for me, what you want to do, how how you want to work these things together, Lord, I, I surrender, right? So now let's look at that within the context here of, of Genesis 26 and, and Isaac, and let's kind of see what this pattern looks like. I want you to read as we're, as we're going through this here, I want you to look at it with that kind of thought in mind, okay? Now, in, in chapter 26, in verse 1, we read something here that was very familiar. It says that there was a famine in the land. Okay? There was a famine in the land. In uh, Genesis, in chapter 12, verse 10, you don't need to turn there. This is when Abram went to Egypt. And you remember when he went to Egypt, things didn't exactly go. All that well, right? Kind of left with his tail between his legs. You remember that? Well, that whole process started with Genesis 12, 10. Now there was a famine in the land, okay? So here now we have his son. Abraham is, is uh, he's dead at this point. He got Isaac. There was a famine in the land. Right away, that should cause us to go, alert, something's happening. What's happening in, now in Isaac's life? What is this? This is a trial, okay? This is something that no doubt he doesn't want. He doesn't want to go through it. He doesn't want to experience it. It's bad. Nobody wants famine. Nobody wants to experience famine. The interesting thing here is, is it says there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. What this is essentially telling us here is that there haven't been any other famines. That this was the next one. And so it's been upwards of 100 years. And so we should also recognize here that, and granted it could be an argument from silence, Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us this, but that Isaac's been living a pretty good life. Things have been pretty good. Things have been pretty prosperous. What happens in times like that? We get a little comfortable, don't we? We get a little slack. Sure, good word. Right? We, we can tend to find ourselves in a place where maybe we're just sort of taking it easy. Did God cause the famine? We could get into a deep theological discussion, right? Here's what we should be able to say very confidently. God absolutely allowed it to happen, right? If, if, if that's not true, then we've robbed God of his power and of his sovereignty. He could have stopped it, so he absolutely had to have allowed it. Do you think that he could be using it to work out something in his life, right? Right? So here, we can at least with confidence, we should be able to with confidence say, God allows this famine in the land. Okay, Isaac's been living a pretty good life. And for the most part, what scripture does have to say about Isaac is he's a a pretty good guy. Okay, So here now, the trial comes. And and this is what's important. And this is the pattern we need to look at in our own lives. The trial comes. The difficulty comes. And what do we do? What do we see Isaac do? He does what we oftentimes do. He decides... I got to go. I, I got to seek out a way to solve this, a way to address this. And most often what happens is we, we, we run to the things that we know, we run to the world, we, we run to those things that, that within our perspective and within our reach we go, okay, this might solve the problem. And so he immediately begins to travel south. He's making his way towards Egypt. God knows this. In fact, Gerar is kind of a southern town. It's not the southernmost, but he's definitely heading that way. Abimelech is a pagan king. We've heard Abimelech before. It's important to understand that it's not always the same guy. Abimelech was also somewhat of a title. Some people say that this is the son of the Abimelech that uh, Abraham interacted with very well could be, might not be, um, and so it's important to understand that this is a king. It's it's more of a title. He's the king of the Philistines, okay, and and so he's going. His response is fear. It's sort of this fight or flight type thing, right? Problem's coming. I'm not familiar with this problem. What am I going to do? He goes. He goes to run. Towards Egypt, and Egypt being a picture of the world, he's run into the things of the world. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. So here now, we don't have much record of the Lord appearing to Isaac. In fact, in this chapter, we're gonna see the Lord appear twice, and it's very important to consider what it is that God communicates when he appears to him. So he says to him, do not go down to Egypt. God knows what's in Isaac's heart at this time. What does he say to him? He says, live in the land. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. He's saying, Isaac, don't go there. Trust me. Verse 3, dwell in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." God appears to Isaac here. He communicates to him. He says, don't go down to Egypt. I know what's in your heart to do. And and Egypt, again, being a picture of the world, guys, there's no greater challenge, encouragement, and word from the Lord for us even still today. When trial comes, it can often be our, our tendency, our temptation to turn to the things of the world to solve our problems rather than trust in God to care for us against what may seem Uh, against all odds. But here, God says, no, don't don't go. Trust me. And then he reinforces the promise that he had made to his father Abraham. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, but it's important to see here that he says it's because of Abraham's obedience. He doesn't as of yet say that it's of Isaac's obedience. And so there is an element here that we can look at and say, man, there is a blessing there's a general ble- generational blessing when people are obedient and follow the Lord. Isaac being a child of Abraham is a recipient of blessing. And of course, we know that God chose this line. Now, here's the other thing we need to consider here. What, what's happening throughout, especially the Old Testament, we see a constant theme going on in terms of what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy is constantly trying to disrupt the Messianic line. He's trying to, he's trying to disrupt the 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 fact that there will come a Messiah through this line, and so we can see that the attacks are constantly coming against um, the lineage of Abraham, the enemy seeking to disrupt this. Okay, and we're going to see that even clearer here shortly. Okay, but but here he's saying it's because Abraham obeyed my voice. So because of Abraham's obedience and and, and this work that God had done in Abraham's life, Abraham was not perfect. Abraham made mistakes. But we know that towards the end of his life, especially there when God called him to willingly offer Isaac, God said, in effect, you've done it. You've proven it. You've become the man that I've made you to be and an example for generations. Okay? So here God reinforces the promise, reminds Isaac of the promise, and so then Isaac, verse 6, dwelt in Gerar. Now, some people take issue with the fact that he dwells in Gerar. And they say, too, that maybe he shouldn't have stayed there because it was still kind of close to Egypt and maybe make some of these parallels that he's kind of living on the border, one foot in the world, one foot in, uh, in the will of God. I, I don't know that that really applies, quite honestly, be, for two reasons. One, because it does appear here that God said, stay here, I'll, I'll, show, you the, I'll, I'll show you the land. And he stays there for quite a while and he's blessed there uh, for a good bit of time, and the other thing would be that he eventually makes his way to Beersheba, uh, and receives even more blessing there, and has another encounter with God there, that's towards the end of the chapter, and Beersheba is even further south than Gerar is, in fact, Beersheba kind of functions as, uh, in scripture it often says from Dan to Beersheba to sort of uh, kind of communicate the the, the borders of, of Israel, and so I just don't think that necessarily fits. And so I think it is that God allows him to, to stay in this particular area. So in verse 6 it says, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. In verse 7, now note this, this has got to be kind of familiar, right? And the men of the place asked about his wife. Now he had a very pretty wife, okay? Just like Abraham and Sarah. And he's in, a, he's in somewhat of, of foreign territory. He's amongst the Philistines. He's amongst the pagan land. He's got a pretty wife. And they begin to ask about his wife. I don't know what they were asking, but he's picking up what they're laying down. And he says, she is my sister. Anybody remember this? Right? This is where you start to go, seriously? Again? Right? Like, how is that even possible? Abraham did that twice. Now he's doing it. Okay? So he says, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife. Because he thought, lest the men of the, pa- of the place kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. So he very much has this same sense of fear in him that his father experienced when he's amongst um, the Philistines here saying, man, if I say that she's my wife, these guys are going to kill me. They're going to knock me off and they're going to take her. So I got to figure out how to protect myself here. And then again, these are those things that you look at and you go, man, how could you, this is like a bonehead move. Okay, but nevertheless, this is what he does, but here 's the thing guys this this is test number two. The first test was here comes the famine god's and, and remember god 's using these things in his life. we can 't forget this. God allows these things in His life, and whenever I firmly believe we've got to be careful. A lot of people sometimes if you 're going through something, people will wrongly and this is this is not doctrinally sound, this is not theologically accurate. Uh, even Jesus himself addressed this. Sometimes people are going through things and, and, and people are going to go, well, you, you you need to repent. You must be in sin somehow. That, that's why this stuff is coming upon you. Now, certainly there is consequences to our behavior. There is consequences to sin. It's not to say that there aren't sometimes things in our life that we just did something stupid and we experience the ramifications of it. But every time we go through a trial, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's sin in our lives that's causing that. It means, I think more often than not, anything that we're going through, I think we can be reasonably confident that God is working all things together for good, that that process of sanctification is happening. And what I'm learning more so in my own life is that, and there's some sort of probably very real character flaw that God is saying, it's time to deal with this. And so I'm going to let you go through this because I want to continue to make you more like me. I want your life to bring glory to me. And so for Isaac here, he, he, we speculate, but I think he got comfortable in the land for a while, and it was time. God was ready to do some things in his life to shake him up, to change him, to draw him deeper. And so test number one, famine, okay, boom, he's ready to go. God says, no, stop, stay here. Now test number two, hey, pretty pretty, pretty lady there. She's my sister. Right? So yes, you can say he failed this test. He trips up here. Okay, and now it came to pass, verse 8, when he had been there, look, a long time. Scripture doesn't tell us how long the long time is, but when Scripture says a long time, for a guy who lives to be 180, I'm thinking it's probably a good while. So he's there for a good bit of time. And here's the thing, that Abimelech, it says, king of the Philistines looked through a window. Okay, so uh, Isaac, they must be encamped somewhere near uh, within sight of Abimelech's um, place there. And Abimelech says, he, he looks through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Okay? So there's some sort of affection that he's now observing. And then Abimelech, verse 9, called Isaac and said, <laughs> quite obviously, she is your wife. right?" So he's, he's, he's looking at him, he's saying, That ain't your sister, (laughs) right? So how could you say she is my sister? Here's the thing we got to understand, guys. Sin will find you out. Sin will find you out. And in fact, it's not just this idea necessarily of, oh, big bad sin's going to suddenly make itself known, but rather God in His grace and in His mercy will expose it. The only thing I can think of, though, here is that it says a long time. And I'm thinking to myself, man, what was life like during this time? What was it like for Isaac to be living a lie? How long was he keeping up this charade? How long were they trying to sort of sneak around and, and remain hidden and make sure that nobody finds out? And, and in that time, how much of his witness, perhaps, was compromised? How much of what maybe God wanted to do in his life and was, was compromised because he was, he was paranoid and he was living in fear? And, and, and how many of us, because we continue in a habitual pattern of sin that disrupts our fellowship with the Lord, that prevents us from truly experiencing what God wants to do in our lives because we're on the run, we're, we're hiding. When if we would just be willing to go, you know what? The truth sets you free. Let me just confess this. Let me just get this out there so that I can begin to move on. It's either, I believe, up to us to do that or the Lord in his kindness and in his desire to ensure sanctification is happening in our lives will do it for us. And so Abimelech comes and and who knows, Abimelech at this point, maybe he knows the story from Abraham too and he's thinking, what's with these guys? Right? He's got to have some serious questions. And now that is going to affect the relationship for a period of time. Okay? And so Isaac said to him, now this is this this is good on the part of Isaac here. He says, quite obviously she's your wife. How could you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, it doesn't appear that he says anything else other than, because I said lest I die on account of her. I, mean, I, I It is my opinion here that, that in this moment Isaac knows, what am I, I going to do? I just got to be honest and I got to confess it. I just got to be straightforward with why I did what I did. And I think the really awesome thing here is we do see a we see a principle here that with honesty and confession uh does come blessing. Because what because really what happens here is there's there's hard there's there's not much of a consequence at all. I mean, there's definitely going to be strain in relationships the fact of the matter is, at this point, this is somewhat of a turning point in Isaac's life, it appears, where he starts to experience what it is that God seems to have promised him earlier. Verse 10, and Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? And so certainly here, I'm not suggesting there's no consequence. There's a reputation that's damaged, just like his father Abraham. One of the people, who, Abimelech says, verse 10, might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So he does have a damaged witness here. He's got a damaged testimony. Nevertheless, instead of some action against him, really, Abimelech just says in verse 11, so Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And I think, you know, just like we talked about with the first Abimelech and, and Abraham, um, and even before that with Pharaoh, is so often I think we find ourselves going, man, we, 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 can't, we can't trust unbelievers we can't we can't we can't really assume that they're going to do the right thing or that and and how foolish of us sometimes uh, to be so condescending in in our approach here it's obvious that Abimelech has a sense he's got a, a moral compass why because God created him and so here he he clearly has a sense of this this would this would have been bad for us okay so he he puts not so much a mark on them but basically says hey you're stay away from these guys, don't do anything, it's going to be bad for us if you do. And look, just before this, well not just before this, but God had, God had, had spoken to Isaac and said, listen, don't go to Egypt, go where I tell you to go, and I'll take care of you, I'll bless you. But then, and it's an amazing thing, that you can go from an encounter with God, to all of a sudden, falling into sin, and doing foolish things. And so, maybe there's some encouragement for us there as well, that look, this is a pattern that happens. But God's faithful. He continues to stay with us. He continues to work with us, to change us and to transform us. And so then, here, who knows how long, Isaac's been living this lie, he's been struggling through it, guilty conscience, whatever the case may be, now it comes out, honesty, confession, and maybe this sense of like, oh, that wasn't that bad. I thought these guys were going to be way worse than that. And then, verse 12, then, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year, a hundredfold. Do you know how much a hundredfold is? It's a hundredfold. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you have one of these, all of a sudden you have a hundred of them. That's huge. You go to any investor and you say, "I guarantee you a hundred percent return." They're going to be like, "Sign me up. Let's do it." Right? Am I wrong? So this is to say, in one year, how long had he been living that way for? We don't know. Scripture says a long time. It didn't say a long time, about a year. So I can only assume that he had been living in this lie for longer than that. And he comes clean and begins to do what God had called him to do. And boom, in the same year, he's getting blessed. Guys, there's a principle there. The Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper, it says, and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. This must be a lot of prospering, right? He began to prosper, he continued to prosper, became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now he, in this moment, as he starts to embark now and see his third, the, the, what we see as his third test coming, could start to go, man, what gives, Lord? I, I went through this, and, and I repented, and, and I did what I was supposed to, and, and then things, things were good, but, but now this? Now we don't have the sense, mind you, that Isaac is doing any of that, which is great. That's what serves as much of an example to us. But how often do we do that? How often do I do that? Because I think I get through one trial and, none, and another one's not going to come? You get all bent out of shape if it does? No, you see here, because he begins to prosper and he's amongst the Philistines, they begin to look and say, man, I I don't know about this guy. And, and by the way, he kind of did us wrong early on. So it says here, verse 15, now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And so what's happening now? They're, they're in Gerar, uh, uh, Excuse me. Isaac's going to start to make his way towards Beersheba, so he's going to start to go sort of south. If you're looking at a map, he's going to go southeast towards Beersheba, and he's going to make his way down in the valley of Gerar. He's in the Negev Desert. Is there a lot of water in the desert? Not typically, right? He doesn't have beachfront property. The desert, even though it's a pretty awesome place that people have thrived in before, they very much rely on digging wells. That's how they get their water. And so what's happening here is they're saying, how do we get this guy out of here? Well, fill in the wells. Now some of them had been filled in earlier. And so Abimelech, he comes to Isaac, and he says, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So as as Isaac has continued to prosper here, and and certainly the relationship is still pretty sour, they're thinking, man, you got to go away because you're, you're beginning to increase far beyond us and we're a little nervous about this. So they tell him to go away, and they're going to make sure that he, they get him out of there. But here, what, what does Isaac do? Does he fight? Does he lie? Does he, does he, does he do something to try and, and, and stand his ground? No. No. Verse 17, it says, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. What I want us to see here is that a lot of time has gone by now. I mean, we're talking about many, many years now. From the time when a famine hit the land and Isaac's thinking, Ooh, we gotta go, I gotta get to Egypt to then making a foolish decision as it relates to his wife and then kind of blowing his witness and, and then learning through that. And, and now he's at a place where he's, he's been prospering, he's been experiencing the blessing of God, and now a trial comes, and when they come to him and they say get away, it seems as if Isaac's just willing to say, okay, here I go. There's a certain contentment, there's a certain peace that exists in Isaac at this point. And so from there, he goes and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. So he's thinking, okay, I'll just make my way a little further out here. And it says, and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he called them by the names which his father had called them. Now, this is, uh, this is really good on the part of, of Isaac here because he knows, hey, I'm in this land. I know this is where my father was. I know that I'm in the desert and I need water. I need access to water. So what am I going to do? Am I just going to randomly search for it? Am I going to go back to where I know they were dug before, where I know there's water? So he's, so Isaac's smart here. He's strategic here as he goes back to the wells of his father. He calls them by the name of his father, and he sort of speaks here of an inheritance, of a claim, Right? But it's often been said too many people have pointed out that he goes back to the old wells. He goes back to the places of truth, the place where he knows there's been water before. As he's going through these trials, he's going back to, oh, here's who's gone before me. Here's who's led the way. Here's the truth that I know. And he's learning. He's growing. He is being sanctified. Sanctified. In verse 19, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. You know how that also can be translated? A well of living water. And so here, continuing to prosper. And notice here, he's just, he's allowing the Lord to just go before him. Now here, verse 20, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, that, that water is ours. Especially when he finds a, one that's got... It, this isn't just, hey, there's water down there. I mean, this one's a spring. It's popping up. It's like, hey, we want that. See, they say, they quarrel over it. They say, the water is ours. So he calls the name of the well. So he's kind of got two names for him. He's, he's going along. He's, he's revisiting the wells of his, his father. Then they have this one. And he says, well, I'm going to call the, that well Esek because they quarreled with me. So he calls the, the, the well quarrel. Verse 21, then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna and he moved from there and dug another well. Look at what's happening here. I mean, he's getting persecuted, you could say. He's going through trials. He's got people coming after him. You know how hard it is to dig a well? Anybody had a well put in around here? Nobody? Yeah? Okay, yeah. It's not the easiest thing, right? I mean, now you can go, I'm going to pay these people to do it. And they come with a really big truck, and then they're digging and going and doing all these different things. Imagine you're out in the desert, and you got a bunch of guys, and you're like, start digging. Right? You don't have a big truck. You don't have a pipe that you can... It, it it takes some work. They dig one, they, they come, and their corner will be, I'll just move on. Another one, I'll just move on. Now, some people at this point would start to be like, dude, put up a fight, man. Quit letting them walk all over you like that. But no... Isaac's learned some things. He's becoming a different man. These trials in his life, we have no sense at all that he's he's, he's, he's struggling with them from the standpoint of, of why God... Now, maybe he did a little bit a time or two, but Scripture doesn't see fit to record that. He just keeps moving. And then verse 22, I read a portion of it already. He moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. He gets to this place and he says, oh, now the Lord's made room for us. Oh, this is where, this is where God wants me to be. When we get to a place in our lives where we find ourselves going, oh, this is where the Lord wants me to be. The implication of that is that we've been somewhere else, right? We'd been somewhere else prior to that. Doesn't necessarily mean it was bad doesn't necessarily mean it was entirely against God's will. What it does mean is the Lord saw fit to move us along. Sometimes in order to move us along, the Lord brings some things into our lives, brings some trials into our lives. When those trials come, we can take a step back and we can go, all right, Lord, I've got open hands. Whatever you want me to do, I'll trust you. I'll follow you. Or we can say, no, this is my will. I'm staying right here. I'm not moving. I'm not budging. And continue to just kind of be in this place of, of difficulty and of quarreling. But no, Isaac was somebody who through these trials, the Lord working in his life, sanctification happening, was beginning to go, it's okay. I'll go I'll go ahead. I'll move on. And so from there then he goes up to Beersheba. This is a place where, where Abram had gone after his interaction with Abimelech. And this is a place that truly geographically speaking was more within the area of where God wanted them to be. And look what happens as soon as he goes up. The last time that the Lord had appeared to him according to this portion of scripture was that very first trial, right? Where where he was in fear, ready to run to the things of the world. And God said, no, no, don't go, just trust me. And then Isaac starts to go through, he's been for years going through all this stuff. And finally he gets to this place where he's like, oh, look, the Lord has made room for us. And God appears that same night. And he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I'm with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there. And there, Isaac's servants dug a well. You see, through all these circumstances, I believe that God was using them to move Isaac to right where he wanted him to be. There just needed to be a willingness on Isaac's part to go, okay, I'll go. And even though it's difficult at times, even though it's challenging at times, he gets to that place and God says, here I am, don't fear. And then then here we see an aspect of God's grace. If, if that wasn't enough, that Isaac can come to this place where he goes, okay, I get it, Lord. And now I have a sense that I'm right where you want me to be. Then, verse 26, Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, again, another title, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, look, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? See Isaac's looking at this, and he's going, "Why are you guys here? I thought you, you sent me away. You told me to get lost." And and he's probably thinking, "And I did. Like guys, I, I I just I trusted God. I was willing to go. I didn't put up a fight. I tried to be compliant." He's probably thinking, "Why? why what's the deal?" And in verse twenty-eight, but they said, "We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you." And so we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. What would that have looked like if Isaac had fought against what the Lord was doing in his life? What would the testimony have been of how he navigated trials in his life and how he went through difficulties in his life? What would a what would a lost world looking on at him have thought about the confidence that he had in this so-called one true God of Israel? We can only speculate, but it likely would have been much different, and so it is also when we deal with trials in our life, and we do it from the standpoint of we're kicking and screaming the whole way, not allowing God to work, not allowing God to do what he wants to do in us and through us, not willing that he would move us to where he wants us to be. But when we... Go through trials when trials come into our lives, and we say, Lord, what you got me, I trust you, you told me you'd be with me, you promised, you promised that you had me. When we navigate things that way, when we allow the Lord to go before us, not only does He bring us to the place that He wants us to be, which is absolutely the place that we should want to be, but it also then serves as a powerful witness to a lost world. Here He thinks they're coming to harass Him again, and they say, No, we see that the Lord is with you, clearly, you're blessed. And what a blessing for him. And so then he made them a feast. The scripture tells us, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not harm. Right? So he makes them a feast and they ate and drank and they rose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another and Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass. Remember, he had dispatched some of his guys again. He said, okay, we're, we're now in the right area. Go dig another well. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him we have found water so he called it Sheba therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day it's called the well of the oath or the place of the oath you see when he stopped kind of conniving when he stopped striving when he stopped chasing and, and he just began to just as a humbled man to surrender himself to the will of God to allow God to to work in his life, even if that meant trials coming in, <clears throat> as he allowed God to go before him and say, Okay, I'll, I'll go where you lead me, he finds himself at a place of blessing where God, who had promised, I'll care for you, don't worry, don't be afraid, and that same day said, Here's your provision. Right. And through all that, was able to rebuild his testimony before a lost world. <clears throat> Guys, when we think about where we're at on that spectrum of sanctification, knowing that God is at work, Knowing yes, praise God that we will get to that place when we will be glorified, when we'll be with Him for eternity. We have to remember that part of the process of of walking that continuum, which really is discipleship, and discipleship is really about it's about us, right? And and then we're discipling along the way. But discipleship is about living that life, following Him. It's about being. If you're going to be a disciple, you're going to follow. If we want if we want to walk that that road we want to make our way along that continuum we got to be willing with with open hands to say lord whatever whatever you have amen thoughts on that questions comments nothing speechless all right well, let me pray for you as we close father we uh Lord I pray our grateful people here tonight Lord, recognizing as difficult as it is sometimes, Lord, the things we face, the things we go through, Lord, the challenges that come our way, the things we may even anticipate, Lord. So grateful that you use them in our lives to make us more like Jesus, the image of your Son. You care enough, Lord, to not leave us as we were or as we are, but to change us and to transform us. Lord, forgive us for the times in which we resist, Lord, the sanctifying work that you are desiring to do in our lives. Lord, help us by your grace, uh, Lord, to surrender ourselves continually to it. Uh, Lord, strengthen our faith and help us to trust, Lord, that indeed you're you're at work and what you have for us is good, where you're leading us, Lord, is where you want us to be, and that is good. Uh, So, Lord, help us to trust in that. And... uh, Lord, may we also, along the way, be obedient, Lord, to your word and, and to care for others and to encourage each other, Lord, as we're on this journey, uh, to bear one another's burdens, Lord, to lift each other up and, uh, Lord, give us joy as we engage in that work. Uh, what a blessing it is, Lord, uh, to be called children of God, to be used by you and to be changed by you, Lord, I pray that we'd all see that, recognize that, and, uh Lord, as I prayed at the beginning, I'll pray again. Lord, help us to leave this place tonight as surrendered people. Um, it can be an intimidating thing to say, Lord. But nevertheless, may we say it with confidence. Lord, what you have for us is what we want. Um, and help us to, to do it with grace, Lord, to trust you to go before us, to lead us. Uh, and that's what we pray for each and every week, Lord. Lord Jesus, is our good shepherd, go before us. Go before each of these here, Lord, as they follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.